Welcome to episode 63 of Therese Talk. I'm your host, Therese Maine. By day, I co-host a morning radio show on a network in New York and Pennsylvania. By night, I'm a podcaster. If you're a woman like me who loves Jesus and just wants to serve her family and community a little bit better, you're in the right place. If you would, take a moment right now to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Surrender. Why is it so hard? Many of us were forced into surrender over the past couple years. There wasn't much we could control, so we laid it down, and then we picked it up again, over and over. It's a common problem in the church, a problem Michelle Lazorik was called to explore in her new book. It's called I Surrender All sort of, laying down your plans so God can do the impossible. She's a Pennsylvania-based author and teacher and also a pastor's wife. Michelle, why is it so hard for us to surrender? I, I think it has to do with our wanting to control things. I think in our head, at least for me anyway, the experience for me has been uh, there's been trials and there's been pain and hardship. And so when you hit those things, it's so easy to want to avoid them. I mean, we're human beings and we want to avoid pain and go toward the pleasure. And so when we're hit, going to a situation where we are seeing those parallels to something that's happened in our past, it's easy to want to control it and to want to make sure that those outcomes are very favorable for us and that uh, we don't have to experience that pain anymore. So it's easy to want to pick things back up after we've surrendered them, because what if God you know, I hate to even say it, but messes it up. You know, what if he does something with it that I didn't plan on or something that I didn't want to have happen? Um, and so it's easy for us to want to pick it back up because when we're in control, that's when we can say our outcomes are the most favorable. Why are we so short-sighted? I mean, obviously God has a much broader view than we have and and we know about eternity, but for some reason the the here and now, the present, that's a that's a great deception that somehow the present matters more than all of eternity. Partly too. I mean, we've just gone through a global pandemic. So, I mean, if I don't know about you, but I never thought we'd ever go through. I didn't even know what a pandemic was before 2020. So, you know, there was a moment when we thought we were just shutting down for two weeks and what good times those were, you know, and then I think two weeks became four months and then four months became six months. And then now we're still struggling to get people back into church and back into a new normal for us. And, you know, also for us, you know, the United States, we've had it pretty easy. I mean, we don't, I mean, think about Ukraine right now. Are we going through those tough times like Ukraine is? No. Are we going through some of those things like some of those other countries are? Absolutely not. So we don't even know the breadth of persecution as other countries know it. And so it's easy to get comfortable. It's easy to become complacent. And when we do, when we're more focused on what we know and telling that to people instead of being in relationship with people like Jesus wants, it becomes really, really easy to focus on the here and now and what I know and what I need to do rather than making disciples for Christ in the future. It's like I said, it's so easy. We're just so comfortable. We have so many creature comforts that we take for granted that no other country has. And um, I, although I'm grateful for them at the same time, I know I take so much for granted and uh, it's easy to want to focus on just what's happening right now and what instead of what could happen in the future, because the Bible does promise persecution, does promise hardship, and we could experience those things. And so what are we doing as Christians here to prepare ourselves for that? We're kind of spiritual wimps. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we definitely are. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's a shame. I hate to say that, but it's, it's true. We really don't. We will not understand the breadth of persecution until we go through it ourselves. We can read about it and we can know other people who've gone through it, but until we've gone through it ourselves, 
when it matters to us personally, that's when it will matter to the world. And I think when the United States can get um, together uh, and be in unity, I mean, how, how divided are we as a country? Um, you know, just based on political views and, and different uh, things that, that we think matter, but really are very small in the scope of God's larger plan. We can't even get along in the church, though. I mean, no. <laughs> like, like that so that's true. kind of where it has to begin. If Christians are really going to surrender to God and see his will magnified, we've got to get it together in our families. We've got to get it together in our churches, and then we can start to impact communities. So how can we go from spiritual wimps to spiritual giants? Part of it is it always starts with Jesus. It begins and ends with him. And we have to be in, we have to be spending time with him in his presence. It always starts there. Um, reading the Bible and praying uh, in the, early in the morning is a wonderful practice. Um, would never say to anyone to stop doing that. But is that all that we're doing? When, when's the last time you really sat in silence or solitude for more than 10, 20 minutes? It's almost impossible for me right now in my house to get to a place where there's no noise. How often are we able to spend time regularly with God? in silence and solitude and allow him to speak. Prayer is not just about talking at God, but listening for him and what he's saying. And I don't think we have that practice down. And I think when we can do some of the spiritual disciplines and do them well and do them regularly, like fasting, uh, journaling, all those kinds of things, when we're doing what we can spiritually to spend time with God in his presence, we are growing. That's when we become the force that we uh, that we can be reckoned with in the world. First, it starts in the presence of God. you know, And secondly, I think it has to do with not sweating the small stuff, I guess. We should always be looking to God. We should always be looking to our local church community. In the world that we live in, it's easy to grab for whomever is live streaming their, their worship service at the time. And those can be great supplements, but they should not be the main um, meal that you're having each week to feed yourself, to be equipped, to make disciples for Christ. So we have to get into the daily habits of meeting together uh, practicing spiritual disciplines and being in the presence of God. And I think when we can do some of those things and do them regularly and do them well, that's really when we, we go from being those wimpy spiritual people to being more of the giants that God has for us. This book talks about God doing the impossible in your life through surrender. How have you seen that in your own life? God has never called me to write a book that I haven't experienced personally, and this is no exception. Um, this idea of surrender was a topic that was been on my heart for probably about two or three years. And I was pitching around to writers conferences, was getting nowhere. And so I kind of did what I always do. I put it on my desktop and just thought, okay, you know, I'll self-publish or I'll do, you know, whatever, whatever God says it's time, it'll be time. And so um, did my due diligence, you know, did the proposal, did some of the chapters. And it wasn't until the end of 2019, beginning of 2020, that I actually really experienced how to surrender. Um, I've always struggled with anxiety. Um, anxiety has been something that's been a part of me forever. I've had it since I was a kid. Always been able to kind of get it under control and have coping mechanisms that worked until the end of 2019. I was just having a lot of a lot of these perfect storms were happening where there was personal tensions and work-related things and deadlines and just being a lot of a lot required of me. And so all those things kind of culminated in these what were small bouts of fear now becoming these large waves of panic that I can't control. I was at the point where I really stopped functioning normally. And I had to get the help of psychiatrists and professionals and get medication to help me control that. And so I had to learn 
every aspect of surrender because it was no part of my life that that anxiety had not touched. And so I had to learn how to truly give up my life and give up control really and allow God to work. And so the anchor verse for the book is Exodus uh, 14. Uh, verses 13 and 14. It's basically when the Israelites, they see the armies, they see they're outnumbered, they start complaining to Moses, we're going to die. Why'd you bring us out here? And Moses says, stand firm um, and watch the Lord deliver you. He says, the, uh, the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. And so it's actually when they lay down their weapons that God in the whole rest of the text does these miraculous things. And so you would think it's pretty counterintuitive to want to give up the one thing that you actually have to protect yourself, but it's actually when they lay it down and have absolutely nothing. And that's when God works. I mean, there were moments when I would literally sit and lay in my bed when my panic was through the roof and I would, tears would just stream down my face. And I thought I was done. I thought I can't come back from this. My church won't accept me. I'm out of ministry. Um, I'm done with writing and speaking. I won't be able to do this anymore. And I was just so torn and broken. And that was a year ago. And I, you know, I'm proud to say God is using me more powerfully now and opening more doors now than he did a year ago. And I'm incredibly grateful for that. And so it is not over. If you have a pulse, you're not done. And uh, God still has incredible things for us. Like he had for Caleb on that hill. It's like, I'll take that hill at 80 years old. There's hope for you. There's freedom. And there is absolutely nothing that Christ's blood on the cross cannot cover. And so when we give over the areas of our lives that we're hesitant to give up, like our children or our finances or our health or our jobs or anything else that we feel like it's really the one thing in our lives that we don't want God messing with, when we're actually able to give that over to him and keep our hands open instead of tight fists and say, okay, God, this is yours and you can do with it what you want. When we're really willing to give up every aspect of our lives to him, he works in ways that I would never have expected. And I think one of the uh, highlights of that really difficult season for me was watching the local church really love on me as a pastor's wife. Obviously we had to, you know, let people know I had to take a leave of absence. So the church knew, so there were cards, there were flowers, there were um, gifts and the stories. When I came back and people were just loved on me, they, I had so many people come up to me and say, Michelle, I know what you're going through. Either I personally experienced it or I have a loved one that I watched experience it. And so that for me was something that I learned. I, I just, loved my local community all the more because I saw Jesus through them. And I knew that I wasn't alone and that I wasn't something to be judged. It was something to be embraced. And I was to be embraced wholeheartedly, you know, warts and all. So I think for me, that's, that's really where I saw the Lord shine the most was through my local church community. You talked about getting professional help, which a lot of times in church is presented as an either, or either you're going to rely on God or you're going to get professional help. But we can do both. There are things that we can do as Christians that may be seen as, you know, rejection of our religion or uh, rejection of Christianity, but they actually can be really, um, they really can be powerful. And there are many Christian counselors out there who deal with mind, body, and spirit. And I don't think you can do one without the other two. They're all linked. And so if you're not dealing with the spirit, you're not dealing with the mind or the heart either. And so you have, I would, I would recommend for people to go to Christian counselors and there's wonderful Christian counselors in my area that have been uh, incredibly vital in my journey in this. And so I, I give them proper credit for all that they did through that, but they are called to help people too. And so if they're being called to that and God's calling them to do that, then why aren't we going to see them? So there is hope, there is freedom. And part of that is getting the help from people who are professionals, who are trained, who have done this. And if you need medication, do it. No one would ever say to a heart patient, don't take your medicine. 
Like if you have a heart condition, it's, we live in a broken world. Our bodies are broken and our brains break sometimes just like our bodies do our brains do as well. And sometimes we need medication to help control those impulsive waves that the nerve endings that can't stop. Sometimes it needs medication to stop some of those things and rewire and rework so that we can be functional as human beings. There's no shame in getting medication. If that's what you need, there's no shame in seeing a professional counselor or somebody, if you need help, the more we humble ourselves and realize that that's no longer to be stigmatized. I think the church not only will be able to embrace those that are dealing with mental health issues, but they'll also be able to get the help themselves that they need to. What is step one for surrender? Step one is prayer. And I know that sounds trite and simplistic, but I think some of the most important prayers we can pray is help. Lord, help, you know, help me. Sometimes there are times in my quiet time where I can't say anything at all. Sometimes it's just thank you. And just thinking of all the things that he's done for me in my life. When's the last time as Christians, we have got down on our knees and wept, wept for our own sin, wept for people's sin in the church, this, the plight of the Christian church and the future of it. When is the last time we've wept over our country and where it's headed? When's the last time we've wept over world affairs, including the persecution of Christians around the world that are being martyred for their faith? Uh, we do have it easy here. And I am incredibly grateful that I can still write books in a country where I don't have to fear someone coming in my door with a gun telling me to stop. And until that day comes, I'm going to write whatever words God has for me. And I want to use my time wisely. And when I go to see him in heaven, I want to be able to put my hands out and say, I did everything you asked of me. Prayer and surrendering yourself and just really getting real and honest with God. He knows everything anyway. Why are we hiding it? And we just get real with him and we're honest and we allow God to speak. Even if it's just words of love over us, that's really where it starts. The new book is called I Surrender All, sort of, laying down our plans so God can do the impossible. Michelle, thanks so much. Thank you, Therese. Appreciate it. If you've enjoyed this episode of Therese Talk, be sure to subscribe and look for the next episode on Tuesday morning. If you really loved it, consider making a gift to Family Life, the ministry this podcast is a part of. Just go to familylife.org and find out more about what we do. Did you know Family Life? Life offers a variety of podcasts from news to kids to faith. You'll find a favorite on demand at familylife.org slash podcast.